Our ambition is that you come to this course as students and that you leave here as teachers, both for your colleagues and for your institutions. So welcome to a special edition of the Harvard Macy Institute podcast. I'm Victoria Brazel, and in this episode, we're going to be previewing the Leading Innovations in Healthcare and Education program for June 2022. And I'm going to be speaking with the uh, director of the Institute, Elizabeth Armstrong, uh, and two of the co-directors of the program, Josh Nagler from the Harvard Medical School and Derek Van, Van Beaver from the Harvard Business School. We're also going to be hearing from Sarah DeWitt, uh, who was an attendee at the 2021 program. And there's something for everyone in this uh, episode. We're going to start by some fundamental thoughts about how we combine and integrate discipline and theory from both healthcare, education, and business. And then we're going to get practical. And for those of you who are attending the program for the first time, there's a lot in here about the kind of thing that happens at the course, how to best prepare, and uh, how to get the most, particularly out of the case method teaching that is one of the tenets of the course. So we're going to start with some thoughts from uh, Josh and Liz about the program. Uh, Liz Armstrong, why don't we start with a little bit of the concepts that underpin this program? Um, thinking way back, why on earth would you have connected a business school with a program for health professions educators? Well, that's a very good question, Vic, and thank you for asking it. Um, it seemed to me at the time that if I was going to, with our team, design a course on organizational change and innovation, I needed to think about who studies organizational change, who does the scholarship and research in that area. And of course, in our environment and on our campus, the school that studies and researches and, and writes about that is the Harvard Business School. Uh, clearly, the medical school has its strengths, like any medical school, but um, the business school is where one would go for information, data, research, writings, etc. So it was clear to me that it needed to be, I needed to partner with the business school at Harvard. It was also apparent to me um, through my uh, contacts that there was a person not yet very famous called Clay Christensen, who was doing very interesting work on uh, disruptive innovation. And uh, when I read some of his very early works, and they were really only white papers that he was sharing with different organizations in the business world, uh, it struck me that uh, clearly disruptive innovation was a theory that we should, as healthcare professionals, be thinking about, both for the area of clinical practice, healthcare delivery, but also for education. I mean, even way back in 94, it seemed apparent to me at least, that the way we were teaching in large lecture halls with limited numbers of people seemed um, very good, and we were certainly training very good people, but that there were new ways of learning and teaching on the internet and in, in uh, methods that we now find very in common use and are actually are required to use. Um, so I, I reached out to Clay and he's at our Harvard Business School. He was a, an assistant professor at the time, not tenured, not published. And uh, I sat with him for a couple of hours and 
tried to convince him that he had something to share with medical professionals. And at first he really said, oh, I don't think so. I study steel mills and um, disc manufacturers. And I said, but your theory can apply in other worlds. And of course, the rest is history. He became my course co-director and um, we learned so much from him. And to be fair, I'll say also that we learned a lot from him. Uh, He learned a lot from us because when he then 10 or so years later wrote The Innovator's Prescription, a book that became famous in the healthcare world, he said that he drew his inspiration from his teaching uh, at the Harvard Macy Institute and that he had learned so much from the physicians and providers of all in all the different professions of the healthcare world that uh, he felt that he needed to write the book and he credited them in the book. So those of you who actually get that book, read it, you will find stories from the Harvard Macy Institute and individuals that he remembered. Uh, and he asked me to remember um, uh, they, those stories are in the book. And so I, I felt very fortunate to have that contact and he agreed I guess the last thing I'd say is that it seems to me also that all of our healthcare uh, schools, professional programs, clinical entities are big organizations that take into consideration business models when they make decisions about priorities and what strategies they're going to follow. And even though in the healthcare world we don't study business models, it seemed to me that this was something this course could offer. Um, And clearly, you know, there were people early on who, like you just said, you know, why did we go to a business school who really wondered why we would do that? And however, once they took the course, they realized that their organization, of course, needs to understand theories from the business world, strategies, teamwork, negotiation, all the things that one would learn uh, almost as part of an MBA program. But we obviously aren't offering that. So finally, I would say um, we called it an innovation course because I felt that change was necessary. uh, And hopefully the innovations that we all create together are going to be a benefit to all those we serve, uh, that our patients will actually benefit and our colleagues will benefit from what we learn together through uh, the work of uh, this course. Mm, Well, thank you. I mean, Really, also very prescient of you, I would say, to have identified that because, as you say, uh, these influences now are really common, aren't we? We we see healthcare organisations looking to anthropology. We see them looking to organisational psychology, uh, whether it's leadership or management disciplines, but that was not the case more than 25 years ago. And I think it's important here, and now I'm going to come to Josh, because I think what you've identified is there's benefits for the scholars here. They're getting a new perspective, uh, both as on the work of doctors and nurses and healthcare professionals in the clinical world, but they're also getting new perspectives on their educational institutions and how they might work and how they might lead and influence change in there. Well, Josh, this actually sounds like a very ambitious goal. Uh, You're, as one of the program directors now, uh, tasked with turning this into a set of activities that actually achieves this um, high and mighty thing that Liz Armstrong and Clay Christensen dreamt up. Uh, How do you actually go about doing that? Yeah, thanks, uh, Vic. I I will say it is a course that was built by giants, and and I feel like it has had uh, amazing impact on so many people for so long now. 
Um, I, I think uh, Liz described it beautifully. The course really is situated in theory, but but one of the things that I think is really valuable about it is that it also brings this wealth of, of personal real world experience from this talented and diverse group of scholars and faculty. And I think ultimately what we hope is to help scholars apply these concepts that they've learned and, and develop a sense of agency to be able to implement their ideas and their innovations at home. Um, we do that in a couple different ways. The course is meant to be interactive, so we use a lot of discussions. And there's the in this virtual format, there's Zoom chats and there's unmuting and old-fashioned kind of speaking and sharing ideas that way. We use breakout rooms to have smaller discussions around set topics, and and then there's these project-based themes that run throughout the course. Um, so they're meant to be both practical. We use the kind of inclusion of terminology and approaches and, and connections that, that scholars can then utilize when they return to their home institutions. I think the practical side of it is that uh, there's both large group and small group sessions as part of this. So in these large group sessions, we have these talented speakers from all over the world that engage this full cohort of 60 or 70 scholars and have them work through concepts together. Um, and they, these sessions do have built-in interaction. But then we also have these these small group sessions, which is a different level of discussion. So we we put together four to six scholars and two to three faculty, and and they facilitate the discussion, which really allows for everyone's voice to contribute to the learning that happens. And so there are journal clubs and there are sessions we call putting it all together sessions, which are an opportunity for these small groups to reflect on what they've learned over the course of the day. And then, as I mentioned, there are these project groups uh, and there's a couple different types of project groups. Uh, one is an individual project that the scholars will bring with them. And then we also pair people up into these groups to work on an innovation project. So um, it's a whole host of ways that we try to apply these theories and concepts and strategies uh, into practical use. Yeah, and I think that's pretty important, isn't it? Because one thing to a program where scholars might come along and go, hey, wow, look at those people out the front, they're amazing. But I think what you're saying, this is really about getting the capabilities uh, and the skills and the perspectives within the tangible reach of the scholars so that they can take it back home. Uh, I guess while we're thinking about the taking back home, it's always good, as Stephen Covey said, to start with the end in mind. What do you hope as they walk out the door that they are they are thinking as they uh, go, wow, that was fantastic, but what now? What is the end in mind? The hope is that people, uh, again, are able to practically apply what they've learned, that they're energized, uh, that they feel, again, the sense of agency to actually implement change, to to think uh, creatively and innovatively and and take uh, potentially either different uh, directions than they had originally thought of, or have the, the, the kind of strength to now say, I'm going to move forward with something that previously they might not have uh, wanted to push forward with. Mm, fantastic. All right. I will ask you the same question, Liz. If we were starting with the end in mind, they're walking out the door and someone says, hey, uh, what about this Harvard Macy Leaders and Innovation Program? Like, what did you get out of it? What do you hope they'll say? Uh, well, first, before I answer your question, may I say how fortunate we are that we have Josh Nagler as a course director with us. Um, uh, it was clear to Clay and to me quite a few years ago that if we're going to represent multiple disciplines, we should have a talented physician working with us. And uh, so the team really has been for many, many years now a distinguished professor from the business school, who is now Derek Van Beaver, uh, a distinguished professor from the medical school, 
who is now Josh Nagler and myself. So Clay and I are very proud of that team effort and, uh, and now that's being carried forward. Um, so yeah, I think a lot about that. And I guess as an educator, what I want to accomplish, uh, I hope, for those who take our courses is not that we teach them what they should think, but rather how they should think, that they should walk away from this course understanding that they need to critically analyze the problem they think they want to solve, they need to challenge old assumptions. Well, we tried it, and that, that's the only way it works. That shouldn't be the way they think when they leave this course. They should be thinking there are new ways to approach things, and I've heard multiple perspectives this week, and think perhaps I should try out some new strategies. Because we ask all of our scholars to create their own solutions I want them really to have spent the week thinking about how do I study my problem? What problem is it that I want to work on? How do I challenge the old ways I've done things? And what are some of the new possible ways that we should experiment with at home? Um, I actually view our classroom as a learning laboratory. You don't come to Harvard Macy to be told what to do. You come to Harvard Macy to really be challenged and to practice those skills of thinking about how I need to understand my problem uh, when you leave this course. Mm, fantastic. And I think really important reset uh, as people go into this program. But I think even for those of us who've been before, that's probably one of the things when we look back even if we didn't quite appreciate it at the time, that's the thing that you keep coming back to. How do I revisit and relook at problems? Are they the real problems? Have I thought about all the ways that I could uh, approach them? So one of the key pedagogies of this program is the case method. And I'm now going to introduce Derek Van Beaver, who is a co-director of the Leading Innovations in Healthcare and Education program uh, and also a faculty member at the Harvard Business School. And here, he's telling us about what these case studies are going to be for the 2022 program. We are all looking forward to working with you this summer. Liz and Josh asked if I would uh, just jump in here a little bit ahead of time to share some advice with you on how to prepare for the case study discussions that we've got planned across our time together. So I think we have a total of three case discussions planned. I'd like to share with you what they are. And then also some tips on how to prepare for the sessions and then how to participate to best effect. So I think we've got three total case discussions planned. There will be an initial discussion on May 24th in advance of the course with my colleague Ryan Buell on the human-centered design process they use at IDEO. Through the written case study and video excerpts of team working sessions, you'll get a chance to experience the team's work as they collaborate with their clients at CinePlanet to figure out how to improve CinePlanet's customers' movie-going experience. Our hope with this case discussion is that it will really help you to do your own advanced work on improving the waiting room experience with some of the tips that you learn through this discussion. Once our week is underway, we're planning a second case discussion with my colleague Rob Huckman, who will help us understand how Walmart is thinking about innovating its healthcare offerings 
And finally, uh, we'll close out our time together on the Friday of our course week by reviewing a case study I recently wrote on innovation at Atrium Health, which is a leading for-profit healthcare system in the southeastern United States. So these sound like some pretty intriguing discussions that Derek has lined up. Uh, He then went on to describe how best to prepare for this kind of activity so that uh, scholars get the most out of the learning process. Now, case discussions are fun and super productive for learning, especially if you follow a few guidelines. First, uh, the pedagogy is successful only if all participants come to the classes prepared to discuss each case in depth. So you'll need to read each case well in advance of each session and use the study questions that we provide to work through whatever analyses seem to you to be warranted to help you think carefully through the themes of the case. So prepare in advance. Second, for the cases that we do during the week that the program is underway on Walmart and Atrium Health, we'll schedule discussion groups before the class sessions to help you test your ideas and develop a deeper understanding of the case material. This is a really good chance for you to try out your ideas in a super, super safe environment. Finally, as we discuss the case, look for opportunities to get into the conversation. Now, I know in the past, some scholars have told me that they learn better by listening. That might be true in a lecture format, but in a case discussion, we want you to feel comfortable to lean into the conversation. So you might think of it as looking for opportunities to do one of three things, either to build on what your fellow scholars are saying, or to push back politely if you think they're getting it wrong, or to change the subject and move us along if you think we're missing some important elements in the case study. So as you can hear, this is a pretty intensive process. Uh, And then my conversation with Josh and Liz continued, and here Josh is going to give us a little bit more about his thoughts about how best to prepare. Yeah, thanks, Vic. I think um, I would say there are two real messages I would um, uh, support in preparation for coming to the course. The first is to try to read ahead of time and prepare ahead of time. And and the second would be to try to disconnect from your other responsibilities. Um, In terms of the reading ahead of time, uh, there is admittedly a lot of material that we include as part of this course, and we recognize that assignments will be heavy and there's um, uh, many articles or other resources, um, but each have their own merit and, and they're carefully chosen to fit in with these key concepts integrated throughout the course. But it takes planning. It's easy to envision just skimming through the articles just ahead of time. But if you really stop and consider the effort that it takes to to carefully read them or listen to them and then allow time for the material to actually digest and reflect on it, it, it takes a while. And so it would be can be challenging for people to try to do that after the course has started. So so my first recommendation is to try to tackle as much of the material ahead of time as you can, and then refresh yourself uh, as you move into the the various different sessions. The the second idea is this idea of disconnecting. And um, uh, we've really pivoted in some ways in, in virtual learning over the last couple of years, and it's pushed our limits in some ways in terms of trying to multitask. So one of the unintended consequences, I think, of having screen time and having your 
academic time in the form of Zoom right in front of you is that that virtual platform sits just adjacent to a whole host of other real world distractions. And so it's so easy to be pulled towards your emails or organizing your schedule or replying to texts or all those types of things. And so I, I would just encourage people to really separate from those other real world gravitational pulls. Mm. Um, use out-of-office reply, disable notifications on your devices, do all those things that will allow you to really focus and be fully engaged with the sessions. It's almost like the Cal Newport Deep Work book needs to be one of the pre-readings for the session, doesn't it? Uh, because I think that is a real challenge for 21st century scholars, workers, academics, everyone. Uh, how do we do that? But I guess you're talking about it in the context of this course, and that's one of the things that I think we heard from Sarah, wasn't it, that uh, – really what you get in, uh, what you put in is what you get out of it. And that does include a lot of preparation. And one of the things that she mentioned was immersing yourself in things like the case studies, because it is interactive, and you can expect to be pulled into the conversation. Uh, and the um, case method teaching is, is part of both the meta experience of this, as well as the content of what you speak about. Uh, Liz, would you add anything to the preparation with respect to either that format or indeed any of the others? I think the most important is to really clear your calendar and clear your mind uh, so that you're coming with an open-mindedness to uh, learning in a new way. The Harvard Business School case method is a very new way for some people to learn. It requires a great deal of homework. I think in many ways, this is the original flipped classroom because you absolutely have to read the case thoroughly, think about what's going on, work on the study questions before you come to the class in order to be able to get anything out of it. Also, all of your small groups, your project group and your design thinking group, uh, they're going to require you to have thought about what is it that I want to build and for whom am I building it? And how am I serving those people and not just uh, a select few, but rather the larger audience who would, will benefit from your project? Um, and a willingness to open your ears and really listen to everyone. Uh, this is a class in which it's high, it takes a lot of energy because you cannot multitask when you're truly trying to listen to what your colleagues from all over the world and from all the different professions in the healthcare domain are thinking. And you'll be, I think, constantly surprised, constantly pleased, and constantly challenged. And of course, that work takes a lot of energy, and you'll need to have that open mind and a willingness to really listen and learn from each other. Yes, and I think that really highlights something maybe we hadn't uh, emphasised enough yet is the importance of being a peer coach for uh, the, uh, the other scholars in our groups uh, thinking about how to help them, which, of course, ends up being a wonderful reflection for us on our own work. Uh, but I think that's what you're saying is you also need to read about the other people's projects in your group so that you can be an effective peer coach. So speaking of peer coaches... Sarah DeWitt was kind enough to share some of her thoughts as a 2021 scholar. Sarah is a board-certified neurologist and clinical neurophysiologist, and here she's got some thoughts, uh, advice for the new scholars. It was an incredible, immersive learning environment. Days were full, usually from 8.30 a.m. to 5.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 
and typically days were comprised of small group discussions, project group sessions, wonderful didactic seminars, networking opportunities, and it all culminated in the presentation of your group's innovation project to the entire cohort. And Sarah had some specific advice about how scholars should prepare. Come prepared and bring snacks. These days are filled with engaging content. I would highly recommend journaling after each session on ways to apply the course content. You have such wonderful opportunities through journal clubs, small groups, project groups, didactic seminars, and virtual meetups. You definitely get what you put in. Thus, I would encourage you to capitalize on the opportunity by taking the time to immerse yourself in the course materials and sessions to have the most rewarding experience. Keep in mind, this is a fully immersive week-long class in case you need to plan accordingly to benefit the most from the experience. All right. So, Josh, maybe before we leave this topic about uh preparation or some of the granular elements what about while people are at the course you've mentioned about really focusing on the course but one of the things that Sarah talked about was taking notes and I guess people do this in different ways don't they but have you found things that work when people are trying to both absorb the granular and explicit that's in front of them but also sit back and reflect and think about the conceptual that's underpinning it have you got any tips for that it is an important point that, that Sarah brought in. Um, I think a couple of different things. I think everyone has their own style for how they do that. Uh, we recognize the value of reflection as you've learned new material and this idea of uh, Liz articulated beautifully of having an open mind and, and figuring out how it all fits in and works for you. One of the things that we've tried to do is we've actually tried to build it into the course structure. So in the afternoons or afternoon Boston time, um, uh, each day there are sessions we call putting it all together. And those are really designed to allow the group to reflect on all the new concepts and materials that, that were covered over the course of that day. Now, it's not meant to replace journaling or individual reflection who those, uh, for those who like that, but, but it can be a great complement to it. I think the other thing that we tried to do when we designed the courses um, in this virtual space is we deliberately built in breaks throughout the course. So it is not consecutive sessions over and over, but but deliberate time off. Um, Zoom fatigue is a real thing. Getting up and stretching and snacking and saying hello to colleagues and other types of things can be valuable. But that can also be that time that just allows for um, uh, any cognitive lag to catch up and and give you some time to, to think through some of the material. Absolutely. We all need white space in our days, um, both as learners, teachers, clinicians, uh, people. All right. Well, as we start to think about uh, wrapping up our conversation here, some of this, of course, is also about joining a community uh, of Harvard Macy scholars from across programs. Some of it is about changing mindsets. But uh, Liz, I'm going to come back to you here and say, look, uh, we've touched on these things, but would you like to maybe summarize for us, what do you think are the more transformative aims of a program like this, either for the scholars or indeed for our uh, health professions educational community? I've thought a lot about that question because a lot of people over the years have said, I've been transformed. And I used to think about, well, what does that actually mean? (laughs) Uh, And I think it means a whole, it means something different probably to everyone. But as an educator, I would say that I think one of the things um, I'll start with is, is sort of back to this learning laboratory. I think the fact that people come to Harvard 
and find out that they're not really going to be lectured at and told what to think, but rather they're going to be asked, what do you think? Um, and how will you approach this? And what might happen in your country or in your school uh, with this kind of a, a problem? I think that in and of itself is transformative. We all live, for the most part, in a pretty insular world when we walk into our offices each day. Uh, we see the same sets of people. We see the same faculty members. And you're coming to a place where you're going to meet people from everywhere uh, and in all the different professions. And we're very, very proud of that because uh, actually in 1994, when we started, that was truly unusual. Uh, and we've really only enhanced our desire to continue that tradition. And we're very proud of that. I think the other thing that happens is that you join a family. You find that this community for you is a set of people who are struggling with similar problems, whether they be in Singapore or in Canada or in Kansas. Doesn't matter. People are struggling with similar problems and they're coming up with different solutions. And your family members, your community, your network of scholars with whom you will collaborate, we hope, for many, many years, they're there, they are there with you at your side. Uh, this is not a competitive environment. This is not a place in which, you know, we say, well, I can, if I have to get the highest grade, I'm going to make your life more difficult so that I can get ahead. This is entirely different. You find that this becomes a support group for you, a place uh, and set of people to whom you can turn. So that level of caring from one another and from the faculty, I think, is transformative for most of us in the health professions. Um, I think the fact that the course asks you to practice new skills and receive feedback in very constructive ways that hopefully uh, invite you to try new ideas on, whether it be the strategies to conduct your project group or the new design thinking that you may be coming up with, or even what you've heard in a Harvard Business School case discussion, you're invited to think about whether or not you'd like to try those ideas on. And that is also, I think, a very transformative experience for most of us in higher education. Hmm. So those are some of the ways I think we try to accomplish that transformation, that changing of a mindset, that opening up possibilities for you um, and truly enjoying the week. Mm, absolutely. And I think uh, also you've indicated that how you do this is as much a lesson as what the content is. And I feel like that uh, medium is the message is a very powerful uh, influence that happens once again, sometimes appreciated in the moment. Sometimes you need that white space and reflection time to appreciate that. And Sarah was kind enough to give us some of her reflections on this uh, joining the Harvard Macy Institute community. It has been gratifying joining the Harvard Macy Institute community, learning from various perspectives and having the opportunity to apply what you learn to the real world is a true highlight from the course. You learn about behavioral economics, jobs to be done method, true disruptive innovation and the changing role of academia in the modern healthcare system. 
The email newsletters, blog, and active Twitter community provide a great way to stay engaged and to network after finishing the course. And finally, Derek Van Beaver gives us some inspiration about what he thinks is the lasting impact on those who uh, attend the program. Our ambition is that you come to this course as students and that you leave here as teachers, both for your colleagues and for your institutions. All right, uh, Josh, well, did you want to give us a few closing comments here? Uh, Any final words of advice either for the scholars or any reflections on uh, your experience of the program? I I think I would just echo the prior comments, really, uh, Victoria, that um, it really is the culture of the Harvard Macy programs that I think is is so impressive and so transformative. Um, It really is about building a sense of community. And if you stop and look at it from a practical perspective, that's one of the reasons that we have 50 plus faculty members volunteering their time to come back year after year after year is they feel this connection, not only to the programs, but to the other members members of the community. Um, And it happens between scholars and faculty, and uh, there's just tremendous networking that happens, uh, not only during the course, but but as Liz described, for years and years afterwards. Um, So so I think uh, we're excited to welcome uh, people to this year's course, and, and more importantly, I think to welcome everyone more broadly into the HMI community. Mm, Fantastic. Well, thank you both. And certainly that's one of my enduring legacies of attending and being a returning scholar and faculty is that sense of community that you're talking about. And that's why I'm here doing the podcast with you two. So uh, thank you, Josh and Liz. And uh, for our scholars, we hope you have a fantastic time. So you've been listening to Elizabeth Armstrong, Derek Van Beaver, Josh Nagler and Sarah Duet talking about the Leading Innovations in Healthcare and Education program for June 2022 at the Harvard Macy Institute. Of course, for more information, you can go to harvardmacy.org. I'm Victoria Brazel, signing off for the Harvard Macy Institute podcast. <music>